Hello, this is episode 282 of Crash, the UK Geek Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about Doctor Who. Yes, I'm returning to the two shows a week format. We are beginning by talking this week about the Doctor Who adventure from 1972 called The Three Doctors. This consisted of four 25-minute episodes first broadcast from the 30th of December, 72, to the 20th of January, 1973. It was broadcast over Christmas and New Year, though not on any day of actual holiday, and was the first serial of the 10th season, marking the 10-year anniversary of the series. It was a special event featuring the first three Doctors, so I think it is fair to include a seasonal ho-ho-ho. As usual, we are still with the third Doctor, John Pertwee, and his companion, Joe Grant, played by Katie Manning. We are also joined by the first two Doctors, William Hartnell and Patrick Troughton. This story was directed by Lenny Main. The writers were Bob Baker and Dave Martin, and the producer, Barry Letts. Just before we start off with what happens, I'm sure it must surprise the audience that I am back. I think I have missed out at least a week of podcasting. I'm sorry about that. I was busy with a book. Yes, the notorious book. Part of the reason that I'm doing this episode now about Doctor Who rather than the book is because I'm very near completion. And in the previous episode of Crash, I did promise that this exact episode, one before I do a whole show about my book, would be about Doctor Who. So I'm fulfilling that promise now. But I do apologise for the delay. Other things I have been doing today, well, I'm not going to dwell on them too long, but I am still having issues with BT Infinity. (laughs) Really bad issues. I had about a few hours of disconnections today, and I've been checking the log, and I've been disconnecting quite regularly. It is an awful laundry basket full of pants. I have also, on the non-pants front, (laughs) since there isn't too much on television lately, I have been re-watching New Who. I particularly enjoyed, which is odd, Peter Capaldi's stint as the Doctor, I thought, like everyone else, I would be far more into David Tennant. But I have watched those episodes so often, I thought I'd go back and watch the Peter Capaldi episodes, and they are really excellent. Peter Capaldi is growing on me, and that's despite my... what I'm starting to think of as accent fascism. I have been talking constantly about how I really hate actors doing bad accents. But Peter Capaldi is Scottish, so I suppose his Scottish accent should be pitch perfect. If he was doing an English accent, that might be different. Yeah, accent fascism. 
And also, I have mentioned previously that I don't like the doctors to have anything but boring old received pronunciation, because that is quite alien nowadays. And I think it's just about the only way that you can convey that the Doctor is alien. Although, I'm probably of a minority view at the moment, so I'll let that go. Enough waffle. Let's talk about what happens in The Three Doctors from 1972. Put me through to Unit HQ, will you please? So, there you are. Mrs. Ollie says her husband's down there. I see him wave, get there, and there he is, gone. Is there anything that UNIT can do about this space lightning business? Lightning? Yes, I suppose it could look like lightning, only it isn't. No, if there were such a thing, I would say it was compressed light, a sort of controlled superlucent emission. What? He means it travels faster than light. Thank you, Miss Grant. As far as I can see, there's only one explanation. Yes? For this stuff, or whoever sent it, is cleverer than we are. Will any progress? No, none at all. And you? Hardly. I'm trapped in this infernal time eddy. What about our fellow time lords? Getting steadily weaker. They can't seem to check the energy loss. We can't help you, I'm afraid. Oh, yes, you could. Oh, how? Well, first, turn up your force field. What? Fabulous. Yes, most impressive. Admit that. Almost worth the trip, just to see this place. Yes, but who brought us here and why? I did. I am the one who brought you here. Who are you? In the legends of your people, I am called Omega. Omega? That's impossible. Omega was destroyed. No, brother Time Lord. I was not destroyed. As you can see, cannot remove the mask, Omega, because, because beneath that mask, there is nothing left of you. Corrosion has already done its work. What? You exist only because your will insists that you exist. But your will is all that is left of you. Self-control? Come on, out! 
another source of energy. Once again, Omega. We're back! I know what it is. It's because you had to trick Omega. I didn't exactly trick him. I promised him his freedom and I gave it to him. The only freedom he could ever have. What else could you do? It was either him or everything. Time Lords. Look, they've sent me a new dematerialization circuit. And my knowledge of time travel law and all the dematerialization codes, they've all come back. They've forgiven me. They've given me back my freedom. I, I suppose you'll be rushing off then. No, it's not straight away, Joe. Of course not. I've got to build a new force field generator first. We start off with a mysteriously disappearing warden of a nature reserve after finding a radio sond that is a weather balloon. A scientist later retrieves the instrument pack from the radio sond and then shows the signal that is emanating from a black hole to the Doctor, Joe and the Brigadier at Unit HQ. The Doctor says it's faster than light. And then we also find out that Gallifrey is in trouble as energy is being sucked down into the black hole. And so the Time Lords send the Doctor's previous selves back to Earth to help the current Doctor John Pertwee, stop the impending disaster to Gallifrey. The Doctor is menaced by an amorphous energy field, and units are attacked by mobile, reddish, blob-like aliens. The Doctor allows the energy field to transport the whole of Unit HQ through the black hole to an antimatter universe. There they meet Omega, the first Time Lord. He is a solar engineer who provided the Time Lords with their time travel technology. He has been trapped inside this negative universe for thousands of years and, unsurprisingly, is a bit angry and vengeful about it. He wants to escape... He wants to take revenge on the Time Lords, and ultimately to destroy the universe. Supervillain. Unfortunately for Omega, it turns out that the alien environment of negative energy, antimatter energy, my physics is flagging a bit here, has corroded and destroyed his physical form to the extent that he can no longer exist outside this universe. Reluctantly, our pacifistic current Doctor tricks Omega into touching the second Doctor's instrument. (laughs) No, 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 i read that again. I'll actually read it verbatim this time from the show notes, so it's less stupid. The current Doctor tricks Omega into touching... (laughs) The second Doctor's recorder, the musical instrument, that is. Since the recorder was lost earlier and then found inside the control panel of the TARDIS, which is shielded 
it is still made of ordinary matter, because everything that goes through that black hole is converted to antimatter. And the recorder is the only thing left that isn't. And so when Omega touches it, he and everything in his domain that is sustained by his will alone is destroyed. When the Doctor finally returns to Earth, along with Unit HQ and everyone who has been transported, he finds the dematerialization circuit component in the TARDIS. This is a small component that's missing from the TARDIS's circuits, which means that the TARDIS is non-functional and the Doctor is trapped on Earth. It is a reward for the Time Lords in return for saving Gallifrey and the entire universe, and it also means that the TARDIS is now functional. The Doctor tells Joe that after a few repairs, he will again be free to travel in space and time. And what I thought... Well, <laughs> you already know what I think about the Doctor's instrument. <laughs> That's not even funny, stop saying that. Okay, first of all, I love Omega. He is one of my favourite supervillains. He has all the required attributes for the picture-perfect supervillain. He is the full ethos, logos, and pathos package. <laughs> oh dear, I'm so sorry. And he is the very epitome of a mad scientist. His insane but brilliant experiments form the basis of the Time Lord's ability to manipulate time. He has a beautifully maniacal laugh, and just as I said that, I now want to do that laugh, but I'll spare you the misery of listening to me trying to do Omega outside of a sci-fi con. And this wonderfully evil laugh is ably demonstrated on many occasions by the actor Stephen Thorne. The Omega outfit is thoroughly menacing, and that mask is just perfect for cosplay, and it's the sort of thing that I would like to have as something in my home. Oh, I wonder what happened to the prop. And about that mask, when it is finally removed, there's a big reveal of what's beneath. And what's beneath the mask is really quite disturbing. And as all good villains should be, Omega is a tragic figure. I get a strong feeling of characters like the Phantom of the Opera here. And you can't help but feeling sorry for his long imprisonment. And I definitely think that that imprisonment is pretty poor reward for a founder of the Time Lords. Although, when I was writing these notes, it also occurred to me, and especially because I've been watching the Peter Capaldi episodes, that Peter Capaldi's doctor getting locked up in the episode Heaven Sent from 2015 for 
4.5 billion years is many, many times worse. By the way, 4.5 billion years is also approximately the age of the Earth, so don't say you never learn any real science on this show. Yet again, deja vu. Surely, when that episode aired, I must have said that, because it sounds like the sort of thing that I would say. Ah, the other thing about 4.5 is that it feels about the length I've been talking about Doctor Who, although that was back in 2014. <sighs> From the elaborate sets, the effort of bringing back Patrick Troughton and William Hartnell, and the sheer ambitious scale of a narrative that encompasses the end of the universe, it tells us about the origin of the Time Lords, I felt that this 10th anniversary of the series was supposed to be a very special event, and a treat for audiences over Christmas. There was much less fuss made about the 10th anniversary of New Who. Yes, can you believe that New Who is 10 years old this year? I did find out during the research for this episode that there was a special showing of the 2009 adventure featuring David Tennant, The End of Time, at Select Cinemas in the USA on August the 7th. This news, of course, I, as a devoted fan, prisoner, Stockholm Syndrome, suffering hostage, unwilling, unofficial, companion of the Doctor, eternally trapped in the TARDIS, completely missed. But it seems to have been a thing to really enthuse the US audience rather than the UK audience, because we had that big 50th anniversary thing. In conclusion, I enjoyed the story, because I love Omega so much. It would have been nice to see William Hartnell in the flesh rather than only on the TARDIS's monitor. Omega's silly shuffling minions also made me laugh as did Katie Manning holding up a very, very big umbrella as she sat next to the Doctor driving Bessie through the rain. Yes, Bessie isn't even a convertible. It's a totally roofless car, and if you're driving it in the rain, you really need a big umbrella. It looked very silly, but it did make me laugh. And yeah, that's what I thought of this adventure. I enjoyed it. I think I would have enjoyed it more had I pretended that it was Christmas again, as I sometimes do during the year, and make myself a Christmas dinner, but the weather has turned out quite nicely lately, which means it would have been very weird. In fact, as I record this right now, a day admittedly later than I said I would, but I had last-minute things to do with the notes to spruce them up to make sure they were entirely accurate, or as accurate as I can be. Please send any complaints about my accuracy to the usual place via my website contact page, which I will repeat at the end of this episode. You may have noticed I am fairly cheerful. I'm in a fine fettle, in fact. So maybe getting back to Doctor Who is a good thing. 
enough of that, and on to some trivia. This is Omega's first appearance. He is one of the founders of the Time Lords on Gallifrey, after their civilization was split by a schism that led to the formation of the patriarchal Time Lords science-obsessed empire, and the exile of the matriarchal Sisters of Khan, whose insular society was based on the development of inner psionic powers. Rassilon and Omega invented time travel, but whereas Rassilon was a leader and the first president of Gallifrey, Omega was a scientist. He was a nerdy, geeky solar engineer who created the black hole known as the Eye of Harmony that powers time travel. Although I'm not sure that the Eye of Harmony has been mentioned yet. That gives you a bit of background about Rassilon and Gallifrey and Omega. And next, William Hartnell. Why is William Hartnell only on that monitor, and we also see him caged up in some sort of glass prism thing that's just free-floating out in the void of space. The reason for that is that William Hartnell was very sick when they were doing the show, so they pre-recorded his parts and presumably spliced them together afterwards in editing. This was William Hartnell's last appearance on the show as the Doctor, and he unfortunately died a few years afterwards in 1975. In the middle of researching this serial or story, I rediscovered Katie Manning's glamour pinups with a Dalek. She is not the first or the last assistant to have done this. Later on we have Perry and Romana, and others have done it as well. But it's been such a long time since I saw those photos, I'd forgotten how, well, bracing the photos of her draped across and straddling the poor war machine of Scarrow were at the time. It seems likely in retrospect that the first time I saw the pictures might have been in a tabloid, though I feel my memory may be inaccurate as they were first published in a magazine called, and this is a very unwoke title for a magazine, Girl Illustrated from 1978, which would have made my age just into double digits. And also, look, I really don't want you to think that I dwelled on this. I did it for the research. Um, the pictures can be found by searching for Naked Dalek, but... That is a little confusing and inaccurate as neither are naked. The Dalek is in its shell and Katie is wearing boots. <laughs> and as usual, I also feel another sense of deja vu because the Katie Manning photos are just the sort of deliciously delightful, delectable, purient nonsense that would have beguiled me long ago. Perhaps more investigation is required. Okay, let's leave that behind for now, and finally, the Doctor refers to the phenomena of space lightning 
discovered by that scientist right at the beginning as being super lucent, meaning faster than light. By that, he's referring to the term superluminal. I love the word superluminal, and the reason I love that word is it's a really cool word, but its most notable use that I can remember was as the title of an excellent science fiction novel by Vonda K. McIntyre from 1983 called Superluminal. It's all about faster-than-light travellers, and it is certainly worth a read. I love the word because it's wonderful and it's so evocative. And yeah, super luminal. And while I have mentioned Vonda K. McIntyre, I also want to say that I'm actually a fan of her work, so anything by this author is worth perusing. I think that Dream Snake, or one word, from 1978 was the first full-length novel of hers that I read. I also really enjoyed a great tie-in that she wrote for the movie Star Trek III The Search for Spock from 1984, which I read repeatedly. I remember reading it on a plane. I wonder where I was going at the time. Yeah, I remember reading this novel on a plane, really enjoying it. I think I even bought the novel at the airport such a long time ago. And that's all I have to say about the Doctor Who adventure entitled The Three Doctors. The first adventure of season 10. And I'm sure we'll be talking about season 10 fairly soon again as well. So look forward to that. The next episode will be me talking about the release of my novel. So be sure to subscribe. And that's it. The show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch via RoyMartha.com. For further reading, there's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode, and there are quite a lot of show notes for this episode. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend, although... Reviewing and rating the show on Apple Podcasts helps the most. And also, I really enjoy contact with listeners and other podcasters. So if you're in any of those brackets, I assume you are because you are listening right now, please get in touch. You were listening to Crash, the UK Geek Podcast, episode 282, recorded on Saturday, the 14th of September 2019, ending right now, shortly after 5, at 17.07.12. I'm now off to have something to eat, and then I've got some editing to do, and this will be released tonight. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye!